In this week's episode, we're actually talking Marvel books. Can you believe it? Including the ever-elusive Spider-Book. See, now you think I'm lying. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome, weary travelers. <laughs> You've stumbled upon the forest of the great Cover B wizards. You must answer this riddle or die. All right, so he's had espresso today. The riddle is this. How are you? <laughs> How you doing? Doing good? Uh, uh. How have things been? Uh, uh, which bird? I don't know. Um, <laughs> blue. Um, no, hi, I mean everybody. green. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Cover B. My name is Chris. With me, as always, the lovely T. We're here to talk about some comics that came out this yeah. year. Yeah. First up. Comics. First up from Marvel is uh Beta Ray Bill number 1. This is written and arted by my homie Daniel Warren Johnson. We're not actually friends. He doesn't know who I am. <laughs> but he's my homie. I was going to say So if he's listening like personal? D Money if you're listening to this. D, D Money. You're my homie. Um <laughs> I will absolutely read anything Dana Warren Johnson does, and this is no exception. This book sees Beta Ray Bill, uh, the eponymous Beta Ray Bill, uh, coping with a bit of identity struggles as he deals with the recent destruction of Stormbreaker uh, at the hands of his buddy Thor and living in uh, Asgard among the Asgardians and being basically stuck in his like muscular horseman form, not being able to change. Um, yeah. what did you think T? I really enjoyed this. So Jason Aaron kind of started the man. Thor's kind of a piece of crap when it comes to beta Ray bill. Uh, and then Kate's has continued the trend of, wow, Thor, why are you being such a douche to poor Bill? And now this whole book is going to be about, hey, Thor, you know how, like, you're all important and all father and you're going to be, like, the last surviving uh, uh, energy in the universe before it gets consumed by time and nothingness? You could still be kind of a dick. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, honestly, I just appreciate that because sometimes it's weird how the, like, new kind of like mild trend the like subversive trend that's coming from all of my favorite authors that are like these like side project authors writing these side project books like not the mm -hmm. main biddies not like the hulks and the x-men's but like like the black knights and, and the beta ray bills they're all like thor you're kind of a dick <laughs> and i'm like yeah he is yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that someone's actually saying it. <laughs> so I really enjoyed this. I like focusing on Bill. I think he's awesome. I feel like he doesn't get enough love. Yeah. I was a huge fan. I've been like a big, as you guys know, I've only been reading comics for like, what, six years-ish now? Um, but I became a big Beta Ray Bill fan during one of the big crossover fancy events mm -hmm. when it focused on like the Thors as like the detectives of the universe. Yeah, during uh Secret Wars. Yeah. When the Thors were the like 
they were like the the police. Yeah, the kinda, CIA. Yeah. Oh no, they're sending in the Thors, bong yeah. bong kind of thing. And Battery Bill was just like, he was good cop. And it was really nice to have like him just chilling like, yo, I'm good cop. I'm actually a nice dude. Why is everyone else so aggressive? <laughs> and I'm like, Barry Bill, you're awesome. Why don't you get enough love? And he's always been like a fan favorite that yeah. Marvel never does anything yeah, with. Yeah, that's the thing is like, <laughs> There's tons of Beta Ray Bill fans. He's a cult almost favorite, a fan favorite for sure. Like he has his fanship. But for the most part, his stories always kind of just lean into whatever is necessary for Thor at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So Thor's having a crisis of faith. Beta Ray Bill swoops in and shows him what it means to believe in oneself. Yep. Thor's being a little bit like more more of a scamp, not being super noble. And Beta Ray Bill swoops in and show him what it means to be a hero and like you know, Thor's having trouble fighting somebody and Beta Ray Bill swoops in and helps him fight somebody. And it's like, it's always been like Beta Ray Bill is just a part of Thor's story. He's there to make Thor a better person yeah. character, but it never focuses on how that actually reflects yeah. on and Bill's I think, life. Yeah. And I think that's incredible with how this, like it's incredible how this book starts because of that. Yeah. This book literally starts off with, Beta Ray Bill being like, I don't really want anything to do with you anymore, Thor. I'm done with you. I'm off. Yeah. I need to figure out who I am, find my own identity, and go from here. And uh, that's incredible. That's a great way to start it because for so much, for so long, Beta Ray Bill has just been like a part to, like a, a device to move Thor's various stories along. Yeah. To some degree. 100%. And now we get to see this character and see him like have emotions and have more personality and figure out who he is and find an identity and stuff like that. And it's it's going to be a good book. And it's beautiful. It's a great book. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about so. this one. I think this one's going to be a really good read. And if you like the Asgardian, the spacey stuff, the the godly stuff, which you guys know that I've always been a big fan of the, the godly-esque things in the Marvel Universe, this one should be a fun one. Yep. Next up, and everyone buckle in, because this is going to surprise the hell out of a lot of people. It really is. We're going to talk about a spider book. Another pause, Marvel book. Pause for grumbles of disbelief and gasps of shock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also from Marvel this week, Silk, number one. Now, I have said in the past that I don't read a ton of the spider stuff because there's just a lot of it and it all kind of personally, and this is not a shot at Amazing Spider-Man fans. Everybody has their superhero that they're fans of. Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Miles Morales. They have tons of fans. I'm not knocking those. I do read some spider books personally. I read every Spider-Gwen thing that comes out. I think she's a compelling character. Um, I read the Spider-Verse crossovers and stuff like that when they happen. I just don't tend to talk about them on here because for the most part, they boil down to like generic superhero fare. But Silk number one. It's true. Came out this week. We wanted to talk about it. This is written by Maureen Gu uh, with art by Takeshi Miyazawa. Uh, it basically takes a look at Silk just kind of doing her day-to-day -day life thing, living her life, being her Silk, working at the Daily Bugle, interacting with J. Jonah Jameson, and a growing conspiracy that's happening in the background that she's going to be paramount to investigating and uncovering. Yes. So I read the 2015 run of Silk um, by Robbie Thomas and 
part of the problem with that run is that it came out at a time when there were a lot of really excellent female-led books taking shape. Mm -hmm. Um, You had everything from Kieran's Angela, which was breaking boundaries with introducing incredible transgender characters. You had uh, Kelly Thompson's uh, Hawkeye, like, or or, uh, 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 West Coast Avengers a little bit later, around the same time, because it was like a 2015-2017 run for Silk. Like, you had... It was just picking up with the uh, Jane Foster Thor run. Um, there were there were so many really awesome female led hero books coming from Marvel, and they were all by these incredible authors, and they were making huge changes and huge strides, and it was just really impressive. The problem with the Silk Run is that it didn't really matter. Um, I think Silk is an incredible character. I think she breaks boundaries. She's an Asian American woman spider. Like, that's a huge deal. And her story just, it wasn't gripping the way that they were writing it. Like, they were trying to build up some intrigue, but it was focusing too heavily on her in the bunker. And it had her very isolated. And the problem with spider books when you isolate a character is that part of what makes spider books so important is the relationship said spider has with those people around them. Mm -hmm. You know, like Miles has a best friend and that's important in his relationship with his mother and that's important and his relationship with Peter and that's important. And then, you know, Peter and his relationships with MJ and Aunt May and, you know, now uh, uh, Johnny Storm, like... The way the spiders interact with other people and, like, the Jonas of the world, that's important. That helps determine their character because otherwise you have just this menagerie of spider characters that all effectively have the same story and the same powers and are doing the same things and fighting the same types of villains. And you're kind of like... Why do I care? Mm-hmm. What makes this different? The supporting characters and the supporting cast is vital to making the spider characters differentiated and interesting and personable and relatable. Yeah. Period. I mean, all the way, you know, down to the core of, you know, Spider-Man's creation. Like his whole, the whole thing and the whole thrust and drive to write that character back in the day was that they wanted to have a character that was mostly just a normal dude and was really struggling. Like the very onset of Spider-Man and most of Spider-Man's like major important stories have been centered around his, his alter ego and his balancing these two worlds. You know what I mean? So it's, it would be strange to have, you know, if you have a Captain America book, he's Steve Rogers, Captain America all day, every day. Mm -hmm. You don't really need to show him going to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have an Iron Man book, it's Tony Stark, Iron Man. You don't really, he doesn't really have two lives. Everybody knows who he is. This is mm-hmm. what he does. If you have like a Guardians of the Galaxy book, they out in space. They don't even have alter egos. They're just who they are. Yep. Punisher, people like that. Like they're just kind of who they are. Carol. But if you're doing like a Daredevil or a Spider-Man or a Spider-Person type of book, mm-hmm. they have these lives that they have to balance. And that's an important thing to put in. You can't just have them spidering all the time. That human element is what makes these characters have depth exactly so while the robbie thompson version was 
good. It wasn't poorly written. It was qu- it was quality writing. The problem was that it just wasn't engaging in the way that a spider book should engage with its audience. Mm-hmm. This book, however, the new iteration of Silk, focuses on her and her relationship at, with her brother, which they f- introduced some family, which in my opinion is so important for a spider character. You cannot have a spider character if you don't have some sort of important family member. Period. That's just, it is what it is. Whether it's an Aunt May, or it's Gwen's dad, or it's Miles' mom, mm-hmm. you you have to have a familial relation to ground them. Period. Yep. So now, now we've got the brother introduced, and that's, I think, going to be a huge deal. It's focusing on her and the double life of doing reporting. It's put her in a scenario where she's now in close proximity to J. Jonah Jameson, and it's, gotta say... I love the iteration of Jonah because I'm a big Jonah stan because he's a nut bar and I love him. And I think he's one of those like, he's like crazy grandpa. And I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've always loved that. So I love when they bring in like crazy Jonah. Um, And so they've got her and like a relationship to Jonah and they've got, which in my opinion also helps ground her in the spider experience by bringing in a vital spider character. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, this book, while not a ton of spider quote unquote stuff happens, like it does introduce her fighting criminals in the beginning, the book establishes her as the dual identity. And that to me is far more important than honestly whatever the hell happened to her in the bunker. Yeah. Bring in the bunker stuff in small bits and pieces and introduce it in little like flashback parts as an overall part of her story don't make it the center point because otherwise you're not giving her any depth or any character that anybody can relate to and the whole point of a spider character is to be relatable i think um you know my big issue with silk leading up and i didn't read the original run i only really had experience with silk when she would pop up in spider-man things or crossover things or whatever it might be um but when i did see her she felt a little like initially she felt a little generic. I feel like writers didn't really have an idea of what they wanted her, her vibe to be that made her stand out from these other spider people. You know, Peter is the OG. We all know his whole thing. He quips, he does this and that. He's got this kind of personality. He's a little bit of a dork, a little bit on, you know, the awkward side. Um, He likes these things. He does these things. He's science and all this, you know, you got miles like, one of my favorite things about Miles is just how outwardly different immediately he was from Peter. You know, he was created yep. to be this, he's a new character with his own personality and his own vibe. And I've always said Miles is easily the best Spider-Man. I don't care. Miles is the best Spider-Man. I think his balance of personality and the sort of conflicts and internal conflicts he has doing the spidering thing and his growth over the years Absolutely. Is just amazing. Um, but he stands out. He absolutely stands out from Peter in personality and mannerisms and way he approaches problems. Uh, Spider Gwen kind of started out the same way. Like she was just another like quippy spider person, but they really developed her over the years to have more of a dark side and more of a, you know, attachment to death. She's seen all this death and stuff like that. And she's a bit darker, a bit more stoic than some of the other spider people. But Silk always just kind of fell into like 
another spider person. Like, mm-hmm. here's another spider person. Uh, that said, I think they're doing a really good job with this book. I like that they started it off literally throwing her into a position that is, you know, parallel to what Peter's done. You know what I mean? Without, he's, she's not freelance photographing, but she's working directly with J. Jonah Jameson on a threats and menace column, which is exactly what Peter basically was doing. Cause Jonah was like, go get me pictures of Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like do it. And that's, this is basically the same thing. Jonah's yeah. running this threats and menace thing, which is like, get out there and find stories about threats and menaces. <laughs> um, you know, she's working directly with Jonah. She's writing, not taking pictures. She's actually doing the articles, but like that kind of like, you know, side by side comparison really gives them a lot of room to say, okay, so she's doing a similar thing, but here's how it's going to be different. Yep. And they've given her more of a, like, she's very aware of her power. She's very aware of, like, you know, she mentions at least a couple times that she's doing things because that's what spider people, quote unquote, do. <laughs> so, you know, you can tell that, like, some of the things she does is just because Captain Peter has said, like, do it this way. You know what I mean? This and so, is the best way to yeah. succeed. And, um... So she's really like they did a good job, in my opinion, of making her a very unique individual in this. I think Maureen Goo is doing a really good job kind of giving Silk a really separate voice. And that's nothing against Robbie Thompson. It's just Robbie Thompson has done a lot of spider things. And so, you know, unfortunately, when you do a lot of spider characters and they all kind of formulaically fall into the same sort of stories, you know, they're going to have some voice bleed. You know, I think that was probably the biggest thing is just that like Robbie Thompson was also doing Spider Gwen, I think. And I think he did some other spider stuff. And so it was just this like bleed over of, oh, he did. um, Didn't he do some Venom things? I don't know. Anyway, um, he was doing some spider. He he has done spider things. So he basically as a writer, you find you're kind of like, this is my spider voice. And then it just kind of like, there it is. And that's actually something to note about. Maureen Gu is that we now have an Asian woman writing for Silk and she doesn't have much comic experience. She actually writes YA novels. Okay. And so yeah, yeah. like kind of coming with that fresh perspective. And yeah. I, I love that. Like yeah, that's yeah. and that'll do a good job giving Silk a very, very unique voice, which she has in this. I did. Yeah. And I like that they're giving her more of an investigative kind of angle. Because we don't see that a lot in spider stuff. No. Weirdly enough, we see it a lot in Spider-Man video games, but we don't see it as much in like the Spider-Man comics. It's more like, oh, bad things happening. Whoosh, off I go to yeah. take care of the bad thing. Um, but they're giving her a little bit more of a like, hmm, we need to figure this out. We need to figure out who this is and stuff, which they do. I've seen a couple of Spider-Gwen stories that were like that, but, you know, it's not a common Spider-Man trope. Usually no. the spider people are just like, whoa, that thing's messing up stuff here i am you know like oh that thing's getting robbed let me go take care of it you know what i mean it's that whole it's like in the spider-man video games you just swing around and then it's like something's happening down here ah let's go beat up goons um (laughs) so i'm excited to see this one kind of progress and see how they really like i hope this one lasts the last one wasn't very long um and i hope I unfortunately think that's probably just because there wasn't a lot of uniqueness. You know, people eventually they are like, wow, it's a ton of spider titles out. I got to pick one. You know what I mean? Well, and it also, like I said, it coincided with a bunch of other really incredible female led titles coming out. And it then it ended up getting kind of in that unfortunate, unfortunate treatment that I think 
that like an A-Force had where it didn't have a ton of fanship and then a bunch of crossovers happened. And if you couldn't fit yourself into the crossovers, well, you're canceled. <laughs> and that just, that happened to a lot yeah. of the less picked up female-led books at that time. And some of them deserved it and some of it didn't. Like, I was really upset when A-Force went under, but at the same time, like, maybe Silk was, it was time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, new creative team, new creative angle. I'm excited to see how it develops. Let's hope Silk sticks around and becomes, like, the next important spider person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and finally, we wanted to talk about one that is not Marvel. Uh, this one is called Destiny New York. This one caught my eye because it's a very, very unique concept that I love. I love concepts that are uh, kind of, they take things that everyone recognizes, but they say, but what if we looked at it from a different perspective? Mm -hmm. The whole premise of this one is that Destiny is a, an academy in New York that is uh, designed to train children who have been prophesied to do something great. Mm -hmm. So basically we live in a world where magic exists, fantasy things exist, dark lords and wizards and sorcerers and all this stuff. Um, and there are people called seers and these seers are going around and looking at people and are like, you're destined to create the biggest cold cut combo sandwich <laughs> ever. And those people are like, Oh, hell yeah. And then they go to Destiny Academy and they learn how to make cold cut sandwiches and yada yada. Obviously, with bigger steaks. Um, <laughs> though don't put steaks on a cold cut sandwich because then, then it's not a cold cut because you got to cut it or you got to cook it. Uh, cold cuts are supposed to be uh, like salami, um, it back. ham. Come on back to turn. us. Well, Destiny New York. Destiny yeah, New go. York. Yeah, there it is. Um, so these kids get a prophecy about them that they're going to go off and do something great. They're going to save the world somehow. They go to this academy. The academy trains them. It's a general school tool, too. So they get, like, general schooling, but they also learn how to fight and learn how to do magic and learn how to do all this and that. And we don't see much magic in the actual book, and we'll get to why. Um, so in comes our main character, our protagonist. She is someone who is prophesied to do something great. And then did that thing when she was like 16. And now we're following her as a woman, as an adult. She's still going to the school because part of the schooling is that once you've done your prophecy, they then train you how to get out into the real world. Do a career. Of some so kind. she's like finishing. She's in her like post grad at this academy, just trying to learn how to like exist and how to like make resumes and stuff like that. Meanwhile, all of her friends and like so many people she sees and tons of people still at the school are still out there like trying to do their thing, trying to waiting for their prophecy to come, waiting yep. for their day to come. Um, so she basically she fulfilled her prophecy way early, way young. And now it's like, OK, what happens? So this book takes a look at things like Harry Potter and yep. Luke Skywalker. And it says, OK, but what happens after? Yep. You know, in a world where like and that's, a you know, it's a good point with Harry Potter. And sure, we got like the play and stuff fine but like Voldemort's the worst wizard that's ever existed reasonably he's probably going to be the worst one to exist for a long long time Harry was like what 18 when he finished mm -hmm. how do you just like Move I guess I guess I'll get a job now yeah you know and then you know for at least for Harry Potter he lives in a world where like there's still magic and stuff there's still magic police needed so he goes off and becomes a magic cop you know what I mean yeah 
And but in this world, it's like, okay, I guess I'll go work at a Starbucks. (laughs) You know, and that's what we see. Now, that's the premise of this book. But the real story of the book is following this girl as she tries to decide who she is and what she wants to do with her life and what's important to her. While also struggling with heartbreak as an ex of hers that she once proposed to just announced her engagement and dealing with balancing relationships as she finds an old fling that she's interested in, that is interested in her, and she meets this new mysterious girl. So on the woman, sorry, I don't want to set it like she's hanging out with an 18 year old. No woman, uh, this very John Constantine esque woman. Yeah. Um, and so she's, you know, the, the story itself is her balancing love and identity as she grows in a world where she doesn't really know if she has a place. Yep. And so it's a romance story. All that other crap. This is the background. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of it, I won't spoil anything, but part of it plays like the whole prophecy thing does play a big part in the story. Uh, but for the most part, it's just about her finding love and figuring out who she is and figuring out what's important to her. I'm going to say something incredibly controversial. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, snap. This is not a comic book. Okay. This is a Western manga. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is, it reads exactly like every YA romance female-oriented manga you've ever read, and I am absolutely freaking obsessed with it. This is a Western peach girl. This is a Western... <laughs> paradise kiss this is a western fruit basket like there's a school and there's magic but it's normalized and all of the dialogue is exceptional and all of the writing is very well done and oriented and nothing is like hyper like laid out for you in in an obvious annoying way like they're not doing exposition in the dialogue they're not like saying things that feel entirely unnatural just so that they can get the plot rolling. Like, everything is done with care. It's long. It's a thick book. It It's it's a manga. It mm-hmm. is 100% a manga. And it's so good. It's very good. It's... I, I, I was st- struck within, like, the first three, four pages by how much I was like... Whoa! I'm sitting in the floor of a Walden bookstore reading a manga right now. <laughs> like it, it was. It's the characters are relatable and kind of cutesy at moments, and say like kind of kitschy things. But at the same time, it's all very like adult and mature and responsible. And it sounds like things that your friends would say, and it makes sense. And the plot is coherent and there's a lot going on in this book but it doesn't feel overwhelming or busy or confusing but it also doesn't feel like they're trying too hard it's just it's well paced it's well made and it's black and white sketch yeah which is a manga (laughs) (laughs) like it's sorry to kind of rant and rave about this but i'm as someone who loves manga and loved manga for Manga is how I developed as from in middle school. Like I read a lot and it just, it's so cool to see a medium that we in the comic Western world don't really absorb a whole lot. Mm Kind of be kind of be like under the table. Like we 
Mako. Here's a, it's a comic. It's like you're <laughs> lying. That's a manga, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so this book was uh, written by Pat Shand with art by Manuel Pretano. Uh, I highly recommend. I wanted to call out the creators because I recommend when you read through this book, there's a very sweet note from Pat Shand in the back. It's worth reading. It's just adorable. And it kind of lays out that, you know, he had a lot of passion passion and, uh, you know, drive to put this book together. And uh, it's cute. It's, it's just, if you're going into it uh, expecting a, uh, you know, like magic explosion fest, like fantasy and you know, dragons and all this stuff. Don't. Yeah, Nomen Omen, this is not. This is more of a, you know, situational kind of book. It's more of a romance. It's more of a heartfelt book, but it is still really, really well done. And like T said, like, the dialogue all feels very natural. This is a very pro-LGBTQIA plus book. Um, It's very pro-sex. It's very sex-positive. And it's just a healthy, like it doesn't, nothing's done gratuitously. Yeah. You know what I mean? So while the, you know, from time to time, the characters will fantasize about having sex with one another, but it's all very like tasteful from time to time. The characters will say like pretty inappropriate, sexy things they want done to them, but it's all done in a natural way. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very organic. It's not like, at no point is it exploitive, exploitative exploitative exploitational um (laughs) that's when it's sensationally exploitive um at no point is it gratuitous or done poorly it's all very organic it all feels like conversations i've had with people like i have a lot of friends that you know really fit with a lot of those characters and i feel like i've had similar conversations with a lot of them uh, and it's just, it's well done. It's cool. I will say, while it is, it does very much feel like a manga, it is very much an adult book. There is language, there is sex, there is things like that. The Strange Academy, this is not. Um, so don't necessarily be like, hey, little cousin, here's this book. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't take away from it at all. I think it's a wonderful adult read. Um, and I, I am very, very excited about it. Yeah, same. I'm excited to see this one continue. So that's going to do it for us. Yes. You've made it to the end, travelers. Oh, God. (laughs) Here he goes. Congratulations. If you hope to leave the forest of Coverbee, you must first take to your magical tablets and follow us on the medias that are social. You can find us at Coverbee Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And Instagram. And Instagram, even. We're on the grams that are instant now. (laughs) The mystical, magical photo board where people post pictures of their cats or them holding tigers or their lattes. You can find us there, travelers. You can also find past episodes on coverbeepodcast.com. Coverbeepodcast.com in the ethereal plane of the internet. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Wander there if you dare, traveler, but be careful. You may find yourself lost for hours and hours listening to the soothing sounds of our voice. It's not very soothing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
whoa, did you see that wizard? Oh my God. Uh, so yeah, check us out online. Check us out on social media. Uh, and if you have any episodes that you want us to do, any special episodes, we're trying to put out special stuff on Wednesdays. Uh, so give us a suggestion on one of those pages. Yes, yeah, And look out for other things. We're going to be trying to advance to more things, including a platform where all the Zoomers hang. <laughs> Coming for you, Zoomers. <laughs> We're gonna get you. <laughs> gonna get you. <laughs> I feel dirty. Um, Don't worry, guys. I'm not gonna let him have coffee before we record ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I chugged that bad boy, too. But we will catch you back here, whatever the content may be, whatever voice I choose to open with. <laughs> We'll catch you back here next week for more Cover, Cover B. B. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Be well, traveler. Oh, 